0: Looks can be extremely deceiving. Appearance can be deceiving, and when it's deceiving, deceiving, it's oftentimes dangerous. When I was in high school, I oftentimes worked for a variety of farmers that lived around us, and most of the time I spent my time working with cattle or hogs. One weekend, our neighbor asked if I'd be willing to do chores for them. They raised sheep, and I thought, I can handle cattle, I can handle hogs, I can handle sheep. So I went over and got the instructions did the chores over the weekend, everything was going great. Sunday night came along and I was in the barn doing some stuff in one of the pens and the farmer just returned home and he yells at me, get out of that pen, really loud, and then had a couple of other fresh words for me. I escaped that pen pretty quickly. I got on like, what's wrong? And he says, that did this. The farmer walked with a limp for many years, The reason he walked with a limp is because of the ram that was in the pen where I was located. You see, I had spent a lot of time with boars, male pigs, and I spent a lot of time with bulls, male cattle. And they, you could tell, they were ugly and they just looked ugly and mean. (laughs) This thing here, I'm not a sheep guy. I'm like, what's the difference? And pretty small and meek, I thought, But boy, was there a lot of power when that ram got upset, and the proof was in the farmer's walk. Appearances can oftentimes be deceiving, and that deception can then be dangerous. This morning, we hear a story of Jesus interacting with religious leaders, and and Jesus is talking about their appearance, how they're appearing to the world outside, and Jesus basically says, whoa, whoa, hey, Followers, be careful. What you're seeing is deceiving, and ultimately it's very dangerous. Appearance of Jesus was kind of a little bit weird. Jesus appeared to be a common person. Jesus appeared to many to be a sinner, actually. It says in different spots of the gospel that sometimes people would say, he's a drunkard. He's hanging out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. From all appearances... Jesus was the one who needed some religion. And then you had the religious leaders known as the Pharisees and the scribes or the Sadducees. They appeared to have it all right. They went to the temple multiple times. They participated in all of these ceremonial washings. They gave all of these ceremonial offerings. They appeared to be very religious. They appeared to be very righteous. In other words, the religious leaders looked like they knew God. The religious leaders looked like they were following God's ways. Jesus sometimes looked like he didn't know God at all, that he's actually against God. Yet appearances can be very deceiving. And so now the religious leaders are seeing Jesus' followers, and his followers are beginning to grow and the religious leaders are seeing the appearance of Jesus' followers and going, hey, they're doing some stuff or not doing some stuff that they're supposed to do. So the religious leaders come to Jesus. Now, they come to Jesus, I would contend, out of sincerity. The rules that they've been following and promoting, it's not something they made up. This is stuff that's been passed down hundreds of years, possibly even longer. This is stuff they were taught as kids This is stuff they memorized. This was at the center of what it meant to be a temple person. They've got a legitimate concern. So just envision this for a second. Here you've got people that have followed certain rules, and now all of a sudden this new group of people that's claiming to be one of them isn't following the same rules. So in a sense, it's the church council. They're meeting and they're going, oh, no. What's going on with these new members? They're not following any of our same rules. They come in and they don't grab a cup of coffee. They don't grab cookies. How how dare they? Where do these people come from? Now, that is a little bit silly. Now, ratcheted up a bunch of levels of seriousness. They're grabbing grain on the Sabbath. They're not bringing in the necessary temple tax. And not only that, they're not participating in the ceremonial washing. So they ask Jesus, Jesus, hey, what's going on here? Your followers aren't doing this stuff. And then Jesus responds and kind of puts them in their place. As we find out, as Peter responds, they were offended by what he says because he says some pretty offensive things. Jesus goes right after them, and he goes right after this thing called tradition of the elders, or in other words, tradition. Well, tradition of the elders is basically this is walls that the church leaders or temple leaders had built up around the law of God. So, for example, you had the Ten Commandments, keep the Sabbath holy. A tradition of the elders then was this, you can't pick grain on the Sabbath. You see, they put that rule in place to what? Protect, the ultimate rule of keeping the Sabbath holy. So they added layers of protection like that. For example, they had all of these purification laws. God is concerned about purity. So what the tradition of the elders did is they began to put in hand washings and other washings in every single instance. So what? To protect the actual law of purity. They have, God wants us to be generous people. God created his people to be givers. And so what does the temple leadership do? Well, let, we got to make sure people are generous. So what do they do? They start adding in temple taxes. Well, we've got the 10% tithe that everybody brings in and then we've got the seven and a half percent grain tax. And then above that, we've got this other would be two and a half percent. And then we got another seven and a half percent. They would get it up to around 27 and percent. Now, does God want tithers? Absolutely. He commands it. Does God want generosity? Absolutely. He created us to be generous. But what do the religious leaders do? They put in walls to what? Assure that everyone's going to be generous. Whether what? You want to be or not. And this now wants to get us in trouble because Jesus says, hey, um, one of the commandments is honor your father and mother, right? We all know that's in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. And then Jesus says, you've got this tradition, this tradition where you have to come and offer something to God, which would have been this temple tax. And you've got to say, hey, I've offered it unto God. Well, they had this situation now where some parents were asking their sons or their daughters to care for them. Well, now the sons or the daughters We're going to the parents and saying, "Uh, I gave what I had to the glory of the Lord at the temple. So now what happened? You're putting kids in a place where they could what? Not care for their parents at an older age. They were no longer able to fulfill the first command of honor your father or your mother. Who put them in that position? The religious leaders, the tradition of the elders. So the tradition of the elders was trying to create generosity What did they end up doing? They end up creating actual lawbreakers because these individuals couldn't honor their own father or their mother. And the religious leaders were saying, oh, it's okay because that tax has been given to the temple. When in reality, Jesus is saying, that probably should have been used to care for the parents because now that burden has fallen elsewhere. You see how they were building up all of these rules But in building up all of these rules to protect the core rules, what happened? They were no longer following the core rules. Jesus says to these people, hey, all of these little activities you're doing, the ceremonial washings, these offerings, guess what? It's in vain. He says, in vain do they worship me. In other words, all of your activity is useless. Do you see why they could be a little bit offended? They were told that all of the activity they were trained on is done in vain. They were offended when they heard that from Jesus. Imagine if they would have heard what Jesus said in response to Peter when he says, Hey, they're not even of God. They're going to be uprooted. They weren't even planted by God. Jesus just lays it out and says, Hey, they're not of God even though the appearance said something completely different. Appearances can be deceiving. We can respond to a story like this in a variety of ways. Two of the ways we can respond to the story, one is we can say, those religious leaders are idiots. Man, do they need to get it together a little bit. How could they not understand some of this stuff? How did they not see that they were breaking some of the commandments by these extra rules? How foolish to add all of this stuff in. It's one way to respond. The other way to respond is to say, is there a little bit of what Jesus is saying here in us or me at all? I would contend that this story and this teaching from Jesus is included in the Bible, not so that we would sit here and go, I'm glad we got it together when those other religious people back then, they were fools. Because remember, Jesus did a lot of stuff, and everything Jesus said and did is not necessarily in the Bible. There's a lot he did and a lot he said that's not recorded in the Bible. These guys had to pick and choose what was going in. Matthew, Mark, Luke, I mean, they had to, this was not dropped out of heaven on a stone. They had to decide in their minds, what am I going to put in the Bible? What am I going to put in this letter that I'm writing? We would contend that under the power of the Holy Spirit, there's a reason they chose this specific story to tell. I would contend it wasn't so that you and I would go, oh, idiot religious leaders, here we go again. We can feel good about ourselves. We're not as bad as they are. That maybe the reason Jesus had them include it, that the Spirit guided them to include this teaching and this story, is that we'd ask ourselves, is there any of this in which Jesus is affirming or condemning found in our own hearts, in our own lives? Appearances can be very, very deceiving. This morning, Jesus maybe would say to us, look beyond the activity and look to the heart because activities can bring about appearances that can be very, very deceiving. This morning, we might hear Jesus and we might say, that's right, Jesus, tradition is horrible. We should get rid of all tradition." Jesus isn't saying tradition is bad. He's he's warning us, though, that don't let tradition trump everything else or don't let tradition do what it's supposed to do. In other words, tradition is supposed to have a role. Tradition, you could say, is practices, patterns, or rules that humans institute. And all of us have them. We're all very traditional at the end of the day. We have practices, patterns, and rules that we all put in place. The question is, do those practices, those patterns, and those rules bring Jesus to us? Or do they help form our hearts to bring honor to Jesus? Or are those things just an end in and of themselves? For example, yesterday we were down at my wife's family celebrating Thanksgiving and we were getting ready to have dinner. And they got around to pray and they were going to sing Johnny Appleseed, which is kind of this prayer song that you sing. And right when I said we're gonna pray, all of the little cousins—there's about six of them down there, around the same age—we're all standing in a line together. And I said, hey, "Hey, I told my daughter time to pray right away, just like this, just like she knows from home." I said, Good job, daughter. Thing, anyhow, um, we're just there. But as she goes and does this, cousins on both sides are going this, and they're trying to grab her hand. And she's, we're, we're, we're praying, Dad, we're praying. Thing. The whole song. They're trying to grab hands. We're praying. Thing. Well, who's right? Who is supposed to have their hands folded? Are we supposed to hold hands? One set of cousins grows up holding hands. We ain't holding hands at our dinner table. <laughs> thing, <laughs> thing, thing. Yay. Is one right? Is one wrong? No? What's the goal? Pray. The goal is to give thanks to God. But the moment one says, hey, they didn't have their hands full. That's right, daughter. You were more religious today. Thank you for praying. We can all see that. But we all do the same thing very often. Create these practices or these uh, rules that we seek to follow. And those activities produce the appearance of religiosity or righteousness. Traditions can be healthy. Traditions can be healthy if they do two things. One, bring us the message of Jesus Christ. Traditions can be healthy if they do this at the same time, form our hearts, our minds, our thought pattern, our who we are on the inside to bring honor back to Jesus. But if tradition isn't doing those two things, then it's just something we're doing for the appearance, or we're doing for the security of doing. Tradition can become very unhealthy as well. Tradition can become unhealthy when what we're doing, the practice or the rule, is an end in and of itself. So if I just practice something, and and the point of it is just because I've always done it that way, I'm always going to fold my hands. that's an end, and I'm actually not praying, I'm just doing it because it gets everybody away from me and it makes me feel good that I participate in that activity i'm missing the point I'm missing the point of prayer traditions are not created to be an end but rather a conduit which bring jesus to us and shape and form our hearts so this morning what type of traditions do you have in your life are they shaping your heart and forming your heart or are they just simple activities to give you the appearance, to give you the false comfort or the false security. All of us have grown up with different rules and, and different things. And some of these rules aren't necessarily bad. Some of them aren't good. They're just, they're just rules. Think for one think most of us probably didn't grow up with this rule, but it's, it's out there still, and that is what? Don't dance. Well, what was, what was the point of the rule, don't dance? Is because if you were dancing, then you might get something in your mind. If you get something in your mind that wants to lead to you know what, and then that mind thought's gonna to lead to you know what. Does everybody know you know what? Okay. So what? Take away the dancing, it takes away the thought, it takes away the you know what. Ah, huh. we're good to go. So what happens? You have people that what? Oh, we don't dance. And then what happens? They still got these thoughts running around in their heads. What do they do? Just suppress them. Because they're not supposed to have these thoughts. Just, just suppress them and then try not to act out on them. The avoidance of dancing, what? Didn't necessarily take away the thought problem. We create stuff like that all of the time. And then we have the appearance, oh, I'm doing well. Because what? Other people are going, wow, that person's really committed. They're really religious. And then that just fills us up. Yeah, doing well. Well, What's going on inside of here today? What's going on inside of here today? Is what's going on inside of here bringing about this? There's a big difference between my heart and my mind of what's going on, bringing about a core conviction that says I'm not going to dance versus saying don't dance because it might create you-know-what. What goes on in here and here is going to create a bundle of different types of core convictions. This morning I want to take, man not a U-turn, but maybe a left turn a little bit and just talk for a few minutes about what's been going on in my life over the last couple of years and how it relates to what Jesus is teaching us here this morning on the issue of tradition. You know, I've come to a place in my life where, and this is almost to the point of unhealthy, and I recognize that, where I have got so much animosity against traditions of the church or against almost the church as a whole. What's brought me to that place is over the last two years I've been involved in numerous things. One of those things I'm involved in is, is a chaplain for the police department, which means about once a month, sometimes a couple more times, got to go and deliver a death notification. And over the two years of of doing that, what's happened to me is I've come to a place of saying, "Jeez, none of these people, parents or siblings or spouses, are sitting there when we deliver the news going, oh, Apostles' Creed, bring them back to life, please. Oh, church choir, bring them back to life, please. They're in the church choir. They're good to go. Actually, none of these people are even sitting on the couch going, Jesus. They're just sitting on the couch in despair. And what's happened to me during this whole process has been like, wow, we've been doing all this stuff. We we promote all of this activity, and then we sometimes fight about which activity is the best, when in reality, this activity is producing very little. It's actually not producing the confidence that it should produce. This activity should produce the confidence to say, I'm secure because Jesus. Because guess what? When we lose that loved one or that spouse, that tradition of the church is going to do nothing for you at 2 a.m. when you can't go to sleep. There's only one thing that can do something for you. Jesus. Because the tradition of the church can't guarantee eternal life for your loved one. That tradition of the church can't raise you from the dead. Only one can. The one who's raised from the dead. Jesus. And as being involved in that has just kind of just made me almost to the point of like, oh my goodness, we're just twisting in the wind over here, wasting a bunch of time doing a bunch of stuff we think it creates when in reality it creates nothing. At the same time, I'm involved in stuff during the week with a lot of poverty or a lot of brokenness. In the midst of working with that, I even get a little more sharper edged around the the edges going, wow, here we are worrying about coffee, decaf, or regular, and it's not making a darn of difference in this single parent's life over here. They could care less. And it just moves me to the point of saying, oh, just get rid of the fluff. Just get rid of the fluff and let me focus on the main thing. What's the main thing? Jesus is the main thing. That none of these traditions, none of these practices are going to guarantee that in any of these scenarios, somebody's got the main thing. Jesus. And in my own heart, in my own mind, what's forced me to do is it's forced me to cling tighter to the main thing. To say, you know what? I just... And sometimes, even to an unhealthy point, I recognize I just, I don't care about some of this other stuff. Think. If church has small groups, I don't care. thing. I don't care what type of small groups we have, community groups, life groups. I don't care. What I care is that we're delivering Jesus. I don't care if you've got an organ or a drum set. I don't care if you say the Apostles' Creed during the service or not say the Apostles' Creed during the service. I want Jesus delivered. And what happens so often is we get caught up in the activity and the activity gives us this false sense of security and because our security is coming from the activity, the moment we go to take away the activity, what happens? Whoa! You're pulling away the blanket of security for someone. That reveals that the activity hasn't accomplished what it was created to accomplish of bringing Jesus the prime example this morning is this, and, and some of you today are like, that's right, preacher, preach it on. Tell those traditional folks to straighten up. Some of you are celebrating right now because you're right, you're right. Now here we go. Now we're finally going to get serious. There's two dangers to think that you're non traditional is absurd. We do the exact same thing every Sunday. The song is a little bit different and a little different instruments, but for the most part, we do the exact same thing every Sunday. It's just a different tradition. Though traditions are very dangerous, the most traditional church in America today has abandoned Jesus. The churches that have remained traditional are the churches that no longer are willing to say, Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, and we stand on the word of God the churches that have what we describe as leaning to the left, however you want to describe that, abandoning what we would call some of God's values, these churches sing out of the hymn book every Sunday. These churches read the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. Guess what? They're making decisions that are not reflective at all of the content of the songs they sing. There is serious danger there. Well, does that mean we're just, oh, that's right, pastor, throw out the hymnal. What well, does it mean you throw out the hymnal? That means that it's not accomplishing its purpose. You need to just acknowledge that you can go through the activity and still not accomplish what you want to accomplish. And then there's a bundle of new churches today. Oh, they don't have stained glass, but let me tell you, they got lights. They got really nice lights. They got really nice media. Media that costs more than any stained glass that you would actually buy. Oh, and they're singing hip songs and they've got great music. But guess what? These same churches, are we mm, don't want to say anything. We got to be nice. I, sure, you know, we're not for or against. We just want to be loving. To truly love someone is tell them when something's wrong, but then also tell them the good news, you're forgiven. We can fall into traps on both sides all the time. I believe what Jesus is saying to his followers here is saying, hey, get rid of the fluff. Stop with all of this nonsense of don't touch this, touch that, celebrate this, don't celebrate that. What Jesus is saying this saying, hey, Put the focus on the heart. Put the focus on the heart and let's see what flows out from the heart. If what flows out from the heart is a banjo player, because that's the song that the guy wants to sing, that's what flows out. If what flows out from the heart is, hey, we worship together in a nice little house, 12 people. That's what flows out. You focus on the heart, you develop the heart. So so where I'm at personally, in my personal life, and also just in general church life, is this. Every conversation I believe should go like this. I think we should start X because it will help us reach the most number of people. Or it will help us engage the most number of people in worship. Or this specific group of people. If you come to me with an idea, I would encourage you to start your idea with this. Hey, You know, it might be really helpful to to reach out to this people group if we did X or Y. Versus, this is a completely different conversation. Hey, why don't we have Christmas trees? We've always had Christmas trees in the sanctuary during the Christmas season. Is there anything wrong with Christmas trees in the sanctuary during the Christmas season? No. Is there anything right about Christmas trees in the sanctuary during the Christmas season? No. Does it help us maybe create something? If it does, do it very simple are we able to keep the main thing the main thing not church right now let's think about you personally for a moment you all look really good today not bad i'm really not concerned with how you look today though for a moment forget about your appearance how are you doing right here today What's right here creating? Christianity has gotten into the business of suppression when the business of Christianity is transformation. So many people come into church every Sunday, and they're doing good on the appearance, but guess what? There's something here they're suppressing. Anxiety, greed, lust. And you're able to suppress it for a little while, and it rears its head every once in a while, I kind of compare it to the parent and the child at the shopping center. I mean, this doesn't happen to me, of course, but you go to the shopping center, right? You go to the shopping center and the kids, they're just freaking out. And what are you doing? Just be right now for the next 20 minutes. I don't care what you do when we get in the car. Just shut up right now. (laughs) This is what so many of us do in our religious lives as well. Drive into church. Shut up, heart. Put away that evil. Put away that jealousy right now. Put away that bitterness right now. Oh, how are you guys today? Doing well. Get back in the car and at home, we suppress it at work. And then it comes out at times though, right? Sometimes it comes out in those moments of relationship. And then who takes the brunt of it? A spouse, a child, coworker, co-worker, or a neighbor? Jesus is not in the business of suppression, Jesus is in the business of transformation. Jesus is not in the business of saying, hey, just try and keep that lust minimal. No, Jesus is in the business of taking that lust and turning it around and creating love out of it for another individual. Jesus is not in the business of, hey, just lower that greed a little bit. Stop driving by the new car store a little bit and that'll help just keep that greed manageable. No, Jesus is in the business of transforming that greed into generosity, where you drive by that car store and you say, I'd love to buy that for so-and-so who I know. Christianity is not about suppression of what's going on in here. Christianity is about transformation of what's going on in here. This morning, Jesus would ask all of us, how's your heart? So many of us come every Sunday and we go to the temple We go to the sanctuary. We're concerned about what's going to happen in the sanctuary or at the sanctuary today. Guess what? Jesus is not about building a sanctuary like this. Jesus is interested in building you into a sanctuary. There's a big difference between going to the temple and being the temple. In the New Testament, there's no recommendation, no encouragement to build another temple. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has come. And now the Holy Spirit dwells amongst the followers of Jesus Christ because you now are the temple. What would happen if we changed our frame of mind and said, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary today. Don't prepare the sanctuary for me when I get there, but prepare me to be a sanctuary, to come with a heart that adores, that wants to express itself, in praise. Lord, help me create a place that would nurture someone else to become a sanctuary today. Where does your heart need work this morning? Where does your mind need work this morning? Everything looks good on the outside, almost the majority of us, all of us. But I know for a fact that for all of us here today, it's not all all right in here. That's what Jesus is after today. Because when he gets this, guess what happens? This out here begins to change quite rapidly. But some of us this morning, to be very honest, are afraid to give Jesus this because of what's going to happen out here. Because we're spending so much energy and time doing what? Keeping up a certain appearance you know how much energy and money we expend in keeping up a certain appearance if just for a moment we could say jesus have this have this and we'll see what the appearance turns out to be i think we'd be amazed at the beautiful temple that god would build today would you join me in praying Not for this sanctuary here, but that this might become a sanctuary. There's an old song, 1990s. I'm not sure you consider that old old anymore. I'm going to ask Paul to come forward. Paul's going to lead us in in a song. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Pure and holy, tried and true. This is where it starts, and guess what? This is where it ends our own hearts to be a sanctuary. Do you know what a temple is? A temple in the Old Testament was the place where people came to meet God. The reason that it starts and it stops here is this. When this becomes a sanctuary, guess what you are? You are a temple where people meet God. Can you imagine what would happen if this really wasn't the sanctuary this was just a four walls, and we got more than four walls. But how many ever walls? This was just a room, and 115 of you and I were the sanctuary. The great things that would happen if this would become a temple, and this would become a room. I invite you. Let's pray this as we sing this. Lord, prepare me.